You know, being a parent is a little bit of a juggling act, as y'all know, I'm sure. Uh, and I think one of the challenges that, that new parents have is um, sort of juggling the, the anxieties that, that accompany having a brand new baby, especially if you're a first-time parent. Um, and it's difficult sometimes to sort of live in the moment and enjoy the moment and, and keep those anxieties uh, a little bit more under control. Uh, and at the same time, you have to take a long-term perspective. You know, parenting is not kind of a one-and-done thing. It, it, it's going to stretch out over years. And sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in the here and now and worried about the here and now, we sort of lose sight that, that things are going to progress over time. And uh, patience and perseverance are really going to pay off. Welcome to the Well Child Podcast, brought to you by two board-certified pediatricians, Dr. Anna Powell and Dr. Sammy Hodges, also known as the Pedi Pals, as we talk to you about topics involving raising well and happy children in today's challenging society. Please follow us on social media at the Pedi Pals or find us online at www.thepedipals.com. Thank you all so much for joining us today on our second ever podcast. Um, we are so grateful to all of our listeners for tuning in and um, coming on this journey with us of the well child. Um, as you all remember, we introduced ourselves in our last episode, um, the PD Pal, the first episode, and um, told you a little bit about our story, what led us here, and talked about our vision for this podcast, um, and talked about some big concepts that we plan to cover through the many future episodes to come. So thank you all so much. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, please do. Don't forget to share, subscribe to our podcast. Um, and today, I am super, super excited about our topic. Uh, for our first topic discussion, <laughs> we wanted to start off from the beginning, the newborn period. So for all the new parents out there and the soon-to-be parents, this episode is definitely one that you cannot miss. So don't forget to share with all your family and friends who could really use this information. Um, and keep a little notepad ready because there's going to be lots of good information to come. Um, to help us discuss everything you need to know about newborns, we wanted to bring in our favorite newborn expert. Um, we have known this special guest for years, and he is definitely an expert in this field. Um, but I don't want to get too excited <laughs> and start talking about our guest, and I'm going to hand it over to Sammy so she can do the honors and introduce him for us. Yes. So um, it is my esteemed pleasure to introduce our very first podcast guest. Uh, I cannot tell you how excited we are to have this guest on The Well Child, not only for ourselves, but for our listeners. Um, it's a real treat. So our guest today is none other than Dr. Michael Smith. Um, for anyone who has been in our uh, career path or training path, they would know Dr. Smith. Um, but for our listeners, Dr. Smith is an extremely experienced pediatrician and newborn nursery specialist. He has over 40 years of clinical experience, and he's extremely well-respected in his field. He's acquired so many accolades over his career that we would actually run out of time on this podcast mm -hmm. if we started reciting all of them. So take our word for it, and suffice it to say, he has received an infinite amount of teaching awards, recognition awards over the years, including Outstanding P 
pediatric attending uh, at his facility, teacher, faculty, you name it. He's even authored a newborn nursery manual, so he really is the guru in our eyes. Um, so welcome, Dr. Smith. Thank you. Thank You're you. Welcome. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, um, Anna, do you want to talk about maybe how we know Dr. Smith? Yes. So I couldn't contain my excitement, and I and I really wanted to tell our listeners um, a little bit about our uh, personal, uh, you know, relationship with Dr. Smith. So both me and Sammy, we um, did residency and trained under Dr. Smith, um, and so he was our first mentor um, in the newborn uh, field. So we, um, I, I, honestly, I, I'm not going to try not to offend any of our other mentors, but I think he was one of our personal favorites. <laughs> and uh, yeah. um, and then, <laughs> exactly. Um, we have so many stories. And I think the one story that me and my other um, fellow residents uh, often um you know, talked about whenever we thought of you, Dr. Smith, um, was uh, this particular time. So, you know, when we're interns and we come into the newborn period for the uh, newborn nursery for the same first time, you know, we're all nervous because we're now handed over these newborns and moms <laughs> and nervous parents. And, um, you know, we often go in, do our exam first, and then we present, present it to Dr. Smith, right. And told him everything we saw on exam and, um, and then we would go on our rounds. I don't know if you remember, Sammy, but we would do rounds with Dr. Smith. and With the little and, cart, yes. Yeah. <laughs> we had a little cart. We had all the charts. And um, it was the highlight, I think, of residency. And we would um, – uh, and Dr. Smith would – come round with us afterwards. And I remember, um, you know, we would uh, be presenting to Dr. Smith and we'd be say, you know, Dr. Smith, I think I heard a murmur in this baby. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm not sure, but I think I heard a murmur. And then Dr. Smith would go and do his exam and um, he, would, he would say, you know, I think the murmur was probably there, but it must have just closed. <laughs> and, and we just always used to laugh because, he was always so kind and compassionate and never could break our hearts and just say that, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> you probably didn't hear it. Um, but I think that's my favorite memory of Dr. Smith. I don't know if you have any particular. No, but I, I agree with you that that is such an endearing quality because typically in residency, I'm being very stereotypical, but if you have an exam finding that you share mm -hmm. with an attending that is not accurate, it's not met with much kindness. It's met with a little bit more stern uh, re response and perhaps some, you know, hard lessons and teaching in that moment. But Dr. Smith was always super supportive. So he would, you know, make a joke out of it that I'm sure that what you heard was accurate, <laughs> but when I'm listening, it's not there anymore. So within the last 20 minutes, something must have happened with the baby where <laughs> the murmur just magically disappeared. And we still learned, actually, we learned so much more, I think, in that very supportive and, and wonderful environment. And so mm -hmm. uh, I totally agree with you. That, that in and of itself sums up Dr. Smith in one story. Thank you all. So uh, now that we have put so much attention on you, Dr. Smith, <laughs> um, we thought we would kind of um, start by asking you some personal questions. I hope that's okay. Uh, the first one being just, can you tell us about your career, your journey, and what brought you to pediatrics and then specifically newborn care? Well, I grew up in a family, um, and my mother was uh, a nurse. 
She always had a high regard for physicians. And that was always sort of held up to me as sort of a, a something, an, an ideal to, to strive for. And so it just always seemed like I was going to be a physician growing up. So um, I went to Southwestern Medical School and uh, then went to University of Alabama for my pediatric training. And then I went into uh, private practice. I was in private practice for uh, about 12 years in a small group. And then I moved to open one of their pediatric clinics and uh, spent some years doing general pediatrics there. And then eventually moved to the nursery. And I've been there about 12 years. And what was it that made you decide pediatrics? Specifically? Um, I, I think it was really sort of a gut level uh, decision because I, uh, I found that, that when I was around kids, my life was just happier. It was lighter. It, it was more fun. Amen. So <laughs> I, I just followed my heart on that. So, so true. And what, what drew you to the newborns? Because that definitely takes a special person to... Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of things. I had done some administrative work, and I'd been in general pediatrics for a long time. And I think I was reaching the point in my career where I was ready to uh, narrow down my focus a little bit and mm-hmm. to do more teaching. And uh, I think it was really a good decision. I've, I've loved it. And you've been doing that how long, did you say? 12 years now. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. And it's getting to the end of the... To the marathon, isn't it, yeah, a little bit? Yeah, yes. <laughs> Another three weeks, I'll be retiring. Wow, congratulations. That's really impressive, but also a little sad for us. But And well-deserved well deserved time off now. Well, thanks. And a big loss to the pediatric community, I feel. But Definitely. Okay, we will try to carry on the legacy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it in good hands, I know. <laughs> um, so our first kind of pressing question, because we really wanted to make this really, you know, manageable and accessible for parents and, and um, you know, really kind of uh, something that they can digest is in your experience, having been not only a pediatrician, but specifically really involved with newborns for, you know, a good decade, what is the one piece of advice if you could give new parents or new moms, something that you've noticed, do you have any pearls for them? Well, you know, being a parent is a little bit of a juggling act, as y'all know, I'm sure. Uh, and I think one of the challenges that, that new parents have is um, sort of juggling the, the anxieties that, that accompany having a brand new baby, especially if you're a first-time parent. Um, and it's difficult sometimes to sort of live in the moment and enjoy the moment and, and keep those anxieties uh, a little bit more under control. Uh, and at the same time, you have to take a long-term perspective. You know, parenting is not kind of a one-and-done thing. It, it, it's going to stretch out over years. And sometimes I think we get so wrapped up in the here and now and worried about the here and now, we sort of lose sight that, that things are going to progress over time. And uh, patience and perseverance are really going to pay off. That's great. I agree with that. But I, I can also speak to the fact that as, you know, as a parent and looking back on my journey, especially with my firstborn, which you were both present for, um, you know, it, I think it's a journey that at least as a mother, you start off on a very exhausted foot. <laughs> so you have just spent the last nine months being tired because you're growing a, an infant, a baby in your stomach. And obviously, you know, we kind of joke, but it's kind of like having a little parasite inside you that, you know, <laughs> makes you all anemic and all that. 
And then, you know, for my personal experience, which I think is, is common, uh, I was induced at 10 o'clock at night and then I delivered 10 o'clock the following night. I hadn't slept that whole time. And, uh, it was a long delivery, obviously. And then you start at 10 PM and suddenly something needs you. <laughs> so it's not like I can go to sleep. Something needs you to breastfeed. Something needs you to change her. Something needs you. So it, you know, the enjoyment, I think most parents really want it, but the fatigue is a real thing. I agree. And in the hospital, especially nowadays that the, uh, the hospital stay is squeezed down into such a small time frame. And there's so many more tests that we have to do, screenings and stuff. I, I just feel bad for moms and, and dads because, you know, every seems like every hour or two, somebody's coming in to check on you or do a test. And sure. So you add that into what the moms are already experiencing with their fatigue and nursing and all those things. It, it can be very exhausting. Yeah, and I... Go ahead. Sorry. I, I just love what Dr. Smith said about, you know, taking pause and just enjoying the moment because I feel right now there's an extra amount of pressure on parents, you know, all the information that's out there and with medical providers. And we kind of probably contribute to this a little bit, you know, with do this for your baby, you know, take these vitamins, do that. And there's just so much information that sometimes we forget just to tell them, Hey, you know, it'll be okay. Um, enjoy this moment. Um, you know, you will work through all the things in due time, you know, but I think that's such an important, um, a valuable lesson for parents because we just get so caught up in, in all, you know, the do's and don'ts a lot of times. And I think, I think parents need moms, especially, I think need to hear that they're doing a good job. Yeah. Know, there's that a lot of pressure on moms and first time moms, especially that have not been through it. There's an enormous amount of pressure. I think that they feel. Mm -hmm. So I think all of us around them need to be very supportive and positive and, and give them that kind of feedback. You just summed up the whole purpose of this podcast because <laughs> that is what we have noticed also at work, you know, that uh, there needs to be way less mommy shaming and daddy shaming and way more support and understanding. And we'll actually delve into that a little bit more too, because we wanted to talk about breast versus bottle and all that in a second. But uh, I totally agree with you that um, this, it needs, there's no right or wrong way you know everyone's unique and you have to do the best you can and also the guilt right a lot of times we end up having a lot of families with so much guilt and i feel like a lot of what we do every day is just um trying to counsel them and reassure them you know that um there's no place for that you know that um they just you know definitely don't want that to be a part of their newborn one uh, thing one thing i think that that all parents learn right away is everybody else is an expert on your baby. Yeah. They don't know what to do with theirs, but they can tell you what you should do with yours. They're very free with advice. You said it. And God love mothers and God love mothers-in-law. But um, yes, <laughs> we hear that all the time. You know, my mother-in-law said, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Doctor, what do you think? <laughs> so I totally agree. That's kind of like golf, right? Everyone's got, <laughs> it's a great golf teacher, but they can't really have that tiger wood swing themselves. Um, one of the things also, I've always, you know, I say this all the time in my clinic, and I don't know if you agree with this, Dr. Smith, or not, but, you know, we talk about anticipatory guidance. So we like to give our parents a heads up on what to expect or what's, what we feel is important. And my anticipatory guidance has 
really changed over the years. Like it used to be just what I felt needed to be said, but then it became uh, more of an observation of what I noticed and what I wanted to prepare parents for. And so my, my main anticipatory guidance actually is that that first period that you're talking about, that hospital and, you know, I just delivered a baby and that haze of, you know, fatigue and fog and whatnot, um, that kind of will dissipate. And then you go home and reality sets in with the baby mm-hmm. and they cry a lot <laughs> and it is okay. <laughs> um, we call it the period of purple crying, but they really do. And they all all seem gassy and they all seem uncomfortable and they all have this period of, of not, you know, like acting like something's wrong. And, right. and yeah. as long as your pediatrician's looking at their growth chart and reassuring you and, and they have a normal physical exam, that's a normal part of infancy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if you think about it, if you're a newborn baby, you can't really do a lot. You can't get up and walk around. You can't change positions, can't talk. So it's, it's understandable that at certain times of the day, they get kind of antsy. Exactly. And it goes, you know, newborns only have one setting. It's like quiet or emergency. (laughs) There's no in between. The in between starts to develop more around that four to five month age when parents start to be able to tell the difference between their different cries. And suddenly they're like, oh, that's not a real cry. But in the newborn phase, you put, you know, you unwrap them for a second or you try to change their diaper and they act like you just chopped a limb off. It's like, ah, and so that's, you know, and that can be distressing. And actually studies have shown um, that a maternal, a mom's hormones will actually fluctuate with the sound of her, her infant crying, which yeah. is why moms end up feeling so distressed when they hear their baby cry. That's right. Right. Yeah. No, definitely. I have a follow-up question for both of you, actually, uh, which I think moms and dads ask often. So can you spoil a newborn? I would say no. I I think in the newborn period, they need a lot of holding and rocking and touch and Mm -hmm. soothing and talking to them. Like I said, they can't do anything. They're they're totally dependent. And so I think the time for worrying about that, you'll know, you'll know at what point that becomes an issue because you'll be able to tell when they, when they do something that they're being very defiant. (laughs) Exactly. It'll, It'll be obvious. Yeah, and I often because a lot of uh, uh, a lot of families will come and say, you know, um, uh, in terms of behavior, you know, are they crying because they're you know seeking attention? Uh, and uh, we'll see this, and I often counsel them, you know, we'll start to see this usually after six months, but especially in that first six month period, um, if they're crying, you know, uh, typically you know, uh, it's okay to hold them. It's okay to change them. It's okay to comfort them. You're not going to spoil them, <laughs> you know? Um, and, uh, they need all of that attention and, and, and love and not to be distressed by it, you know, because they're doing a good job, but uh, I definitely tell them all too that, no, you can't spoil them this early. <laughs> exactly. What I also kind of like Dr. Smith said, just imagine if you're a newborn, you can't move positions. You can't do this. What I say is imagine you were in a cocoon for nine months. It's a really tight little room and you were all curled up and it was so nice and warm. Mm -hmm. And the only feeling that replicates that is when someone's holding you. That's right. So naturally, you know, anytime anyone who has a newborn would notice that when you put them on a flat surface, their little startle reflex starts to (laughs) in and they act like they're, they're falling from a tree and they're very uncomfortable. 
um, and they don't like it at all. So uh, it's okay to hold them and give them that feeling of the comfort and warmth. And we know also based on so many studies now over the years, how important skin to skin contact is. So, you know, if you have the opportunity to do that and, you know, you're both awake and alert, go for it. Um, but, but at the same time, uh, often parents will notice that the baby's really calm when they're being held and the minute they put them down, they start to cry. Mm-hmm. And uh, to me, and I don't know if you guys have different uh, you know, opinions or you know, experiences over the years, but to me, whenever that happens, that's a sign that the baby is not swaddled appropriately, that they are you know, not feeling that cocoon warmth that they would like in order to be you know, put down. I don't know how you guys feel about yeah, that, but parents often talk about that. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. I often tell them too, uh, you know, that I think that's why the swaddle works so good, you know, uh, is because, or especially those ones that are, you know, the stretchy swaddles where as soon as they stretch and it kind of brings them back, you know, in um, that kind of feeling because they were in the uterus, you know, which is a muscle and it stretches, you know, and it provides that kind of warmth and comfort. And, um, you know, we're, we are kind of mean to newborns. We kind of make put them on their back (laughs) and then let them, you know, out into the world. So I think it takes them time to adjust um, uh, to being out in the world, you know? So I totally agree. I tell them the same thing. I say, you know, um, uh, that, that warmth and that swaddle is really important, you know? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, they'll also oftentimes have their days and nights mixed when they're born. Do you, right. do you experience that, Dr. Smith? Absolutely, absolutely. And what do you tell the moms or the parents about that? Well, again, it's it's developmentally, it's normal, and that's going to work itself out over time. I think sometimes, and I don't know what you guys would say about this, but especially after they get past the first month or so, I think there's no harm in sort of interrupting their daytime sleep a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, trying to kind of get that turned around a little bit. So I'm not saying keep them up all day. I'm just saying, let them sleep for a while. And if it goes past a certain time, then, you know, wake them up at least briefly and just kind of keep their daytime sleep a little chopped up. So That's exactly what I say too. Although I'm not as kind as you, I, I usually will tell the parents, this is a cruel twist of fate <laughs> that the universe didn't feel like you were sleep deprived enough. So now it has thrown this curveball at you, but you got this. <laughs> um, and I tell them that, you know, babies, newborns are very, receptive to temperature, light, and sound. And mm-hmm. so when you were pregnant, you know, you were walking around throughout the day and you were basically bouncing them That's and right. that was soothing and, and they were going to sleep. And then at night you were getting ready for bed. And most pregnant moms will remember that they're like, you know, their little kicking. babies are yeah. kicking um, a whole bunch in, in their, you know, in their sleep. Um, but, you know, it doesn't bother you when you're pregnant. But if you remember that, they have that same schedule when they come out. And so it's like if we were to travel, you know, halfway across the world, our time zones are switched. So it doesn't happen overnight. You need a little bit of time to adjust. And the best way to help them adjust to the new time zone of when is day and when is night is to make sure that during the daytime, the lights are on, the music is on, you're talking at full volume, make your house a little cooler, maybe slightly more uncomfortable so that they don't sleep for five or six hours in the daytime. You would like to have the longer stretch of sleep at night and do the exact opposite at night. Make it a much more cozy environment, lights off, sounds down. You know, don't talk to your baby in the middle of the night as much as you might want to have a one-on-one conversation at two o'clock in the morning. Avoid the urge and do that during the day. (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and I, I'll tell them the exact same thing. I say, you know, think of it like jet lag. It, it is going to take some time because they all, it's so true. They all say the same thing. You know, they're, they're up all night because they're kicking and I know that they were up all night. So it's the exact same thing, you know, and I usually also just tell them, um, sometimes it's also just better to accept it. You know, it's going to take a few weeks and, you know, recruit family and friends. And if it doesn't go your way, you know, just, um, try your best. You know, it's, it's definitely sometimes acceptance, I think makes it easier too, (laughs) that it's going to take a few weeks, you know? So Dr. Smith, my next question for you is, it's going to be a little hard to answer and it's okay if it is, but it's, you know, you have the experience of, of watching, you know, kind of parenting and, and life evolve over, you know, the decades of your career. I'm sure you've noticed this evolution and things are changing. And what do you feel has changed the most, you know, from the beginning of your career to the end, like how parents are or how we're raising our children? And, you know, is it for the better or for the worse or, you know, because probably, you know, back in the day, things were a little different. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, two things come to my mind. One is breastfeeding. So yeah. we, mm-hmm. when I was a resident, I would say maybe 20% of moms breastfed, maybe wow. something like that. And the, the thinking back then was, well, it's, that's fine to do that, but formula is just as good. And then after I was out and in practice, a lot of studies started coming out showing that it was actually not as good, not near as good. And the, the thing, the, uh, number of moms that started breastfeeding began to slowly change until now, really in my practice, almost all of them do, at least almost all of them try. Try, Right. Uh, So I think that's been a big flip that I've seen and all the, all the evidence that's come out about the benefits of breastfeeding and Mm -hmm. uh, the survival advantage that it gives premature babies and whatnot. That's just fascinating to have seen that unfold. Uh, And I would say the other thing that comes to mind is, is the busyness that we that we keep our children in? Um, you know, they they don't have unstructured time very much. They're involved in all these organized activities, which I think to a degree is is great. But uh, I think we've sort of lost the idea of letting kids just get out in the backyard and play and and uh, free time. So uh, I think organized activities are great. But gosh, I see families that they're in sports all year round, sometimes two at a time. And, uh, you know, to me, that seems like a a little bit of a stress on the whole family unit to do that. I love that. I love what you said, because I completely agree with that. And, you know, it's not just anecdotal on your part. It's actually proven also through studies that how important independent and unorganized play is for a developing child's brain. So I completely agree with that. Um, I also want to go back to the breastfeeding thing, but I didn't know if you had something to say, Anna, too. Yeah, no, I was actually wanted to follow up on the on the breastfeeding uh, part because that's something that we deal with a lot, especially in the first newborn uh, phase, you know, because there is a lot of information out there about breastfeeding, breastfeeding being the best, you know, giving um, kids that immune system, you know, from the mom and, and we all are advocates for breastfeeding, you know, but we, we try really hard um, in our practice to also not have uh, moms take over that guilt, you know, uh, for the ones that have a hard time breastfeeding or moms that were sick after their pregnancy and their delivery and maybe you know, it didn't work out. So we really, really try to um, uh, give them that space that, you know, 
you being stressed is not good for you or the baby. You know, the most important thing is, is that they're fed and they're growing and they're healthy. And, and that's the most important thing. Um, but how do you kind of juggle with that? Cause I know that we use our lactation, uh, consultants in the nursery and we try to give them the most amount of support, but how do you kind of handle that struggle that a lot of moms face these days? I think. Well, you know, a lot of moms are employed, work outside the home. And so that just adds extra stress on it. And, it, you know, I've, I remark to the residents a lot, you know, when you go in, the first, almost the first thing you say in the hospital to the mothers, how's the baby feeding? How's the baby feeding? You know, okay. she's the only one that really can answer that. And uh, if you're not careful, it, I think it really can place a lot of pressure and sometimes a lot of guilt on moms where it's not working well. So I, I take that same approach. I want to encourage it as much as possible. It's clear that it's better for the baby. But in the long run, the mom and the baby have to kind of make that decision. We have excellent lactation support in, in our hospital for moms both in the hospital and after they go home. Uh, and, you know, the health departments are very good about that. The WIC program is very supportive. So there's a lot of resources uh, for moms, I think, to, to, that they should draw on. Yes. And I, I completely agree. You know, the science is there and we know it's there and we're definitely would never deny it, but it only, I think it only takes two days as a pediatrician, you know, mm -hmm. to get a good sense. And then, you know, if you know, you're like me and lucky enough to have been a mother too, and have been through the experience personally to get a sense of it's actually not pro breast or pro, pro bottle. It's pro mom. Mm -hmm. uh, that's really the stance. And the pressure is real and it doesn't need to be there. If you can go ahead, please do. It's, you know, it's what's preferred and what, you know, overall might be healthier for the baby. But if you cannot, and there are a million reasons why you might not reconstructive surgery, you know, all kinds of things, medical conditions. Some, some women just don't lactate. One of my best friends was, was like that. Um, they just don't, you know, and here they are trying to, uh, swim against stream, you know, and they were, like we said, they're already exhausted. They were just pregnant for nine months right. and then delivered a baby and you're starting off. And then if you add the added stress and pressure of trying to keep up with what seems like everybody else is doing effortlessly, that's a really bad setup for the beginning of a long journey. Like Dr. Smith said, parenting's not a, it's not a race, it's a marathon. So to right. me, if, you know, there is any sign of stress, uh, I, I think that parents should do what works for them without any shame. And right. as long as, what is that other saying that they said fed is best? Um, I think, right. <laughs> I think yes, I heard that one. Um, so it's a really controversial topic. And I think a lot of people get really, uh, you know, um, kind of passionate about the breastfeeding thing, um, which it's rightfully so, but we have to be really careful that we're not being passionate at the detriment of, of certain people that, may not be able to do that right. and for whatever reason, like Dr. Smith said, they got to go to work the next day and take it from someone who had to pump in residency. Mm -hmm. That is difficult yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. There's, there's so much on, on moms and dads plates, you know, and, and that's not one thing um, that, you know, uh, shouldn't be an added stressor, you know, and I always tell them, I mean, a lot of times we'll see kids in the clinic and, 
they have a high bilirubin or they're jaundiced and we have to supplement with formula, you know, and um, a lot of times we always urge, you know, definitely talk to your pediatrician uh, because at that time they might need that extra um, support um, with formula and that's okay. And a lot of times I tell them, you know, if you stay hydrated, if you stay, uh, if you take care of your health, um, then you'll be a better a much better mom and a much better parent. And, um, you'll, you know, you might even be able to be more successful if you really wanted to truly breastfeed because a lot of parents, you know, they really, really want to try and we want to support you in it, you know, but the stress is not going to help. <laughs> Definitely. I agree. So do you find Dr. Smith that there is a question that you get asked often by parents? Is there a recurring theme in the newborn period? Is there something you feel that you say a lot? Is it the circumcision? <laughs> do you get yeah, asked that, was, that, that I get that a lot. I get, <laughs> you, I and what do you, I mean, so that's the question, right? To circumcise or not to circumcise? Right, right. So what, what is the latest on that? Well, you know, again, things have changed over the course of my career. When I was a resident, we were told to basically dissuade people from that because there were no benefits to it. Um, and then years went by and actually studies came out showing there was a decreased incidence of urinary tract infections in the first year and uh, some other uh, STDs, right? STIs. certain STIs, not all. Um, and, you know, there's an issue about cancer uh, and whatnot. So things, things change. Now the academy basically just says the parents should be presented the facts on either side. It's not inappropriate to do it. It's not inappropriate not to do it. And I must say, if you look worldwide, the vast majority of men are not circumcised. So that probably tells you something. Mm -hmm. So uh, again, I, I would get back to what we were talking about sort of with the breastfeeding. I don't think that's something they should feel guilty about. Mm -hmm. If they assess that, that they feel like it's not indicated for their child and they don't want to do it, a lot of times there's a lot of pressure from extended family to do one way or the other. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, parents are smart. They can make up their mind about that and they can weigh the evidence and, they shouldn't feel bad about doing what they think is best for their child. I love that. Anna, what do you think? Yeah, I, uh, I, we learned our circumcisions from Dr. Smith. So <laughs> he's the one that does, taught us how to do it. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of parents, I, I feel, sometimes are on the fence, you know, a lot of them. Um, uh, there's some families, you know, culturally that decide, yes, we want to do it. Yes, we don't want to do it. And um, we're supportive either way. Do you ever, um, uh, you know, guide them to, if they do want to do it, to do it earlier in the newborn period? Or is that something that they can choose to do later? How do you approach that question? They, they can do it later, but just on a practical level, a lot of the private insurances will not cover it once they leave the hospital. So it, it can be a pretty significant expense if it's done outside of the hospital. That's good to know. Uh, so that's, that's important. Um, I, I think also there's studies that show that there's less morbidity, there's less complications, there's less, uh, you know, uh, obvious pain and whatnot if it's done in the newborn period versus a baby that's two or three months old. Right. And so, I think a lot of them, a lot of the urologists might even have to do it under general anesthesia when they're older, right? Yes. So yeah, once they get to a certain age, and it varies depending on the surgeons, but I think, you know, one or maybe two months is probably the upper limits of doing it in the office. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I definitely um, uh, kind of tell them something similar, you know, um, uh, but 
of course, it's a decision that they can take at any point, you know, um, uh, but that's really helpful to know. Um, but at, I think the take-home message, just like the breastfeeding, is it's a personal decision. Right. That's right. Um, which there are a lot of those, you know, in parenting. We're faced with so many personal decisions right now with this whole COVID business. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it's a lot of pressure, I think, on parents, again, to decide breastfeed or bottle feed, circumcise, don't circumcise, send my kids to school or don't send my right. kids to school in the middle of a pandemic. But mm -hmm. you, just like Dr. Smith said, you, you have to look at the facts, talk to the people you trust, you know, talk to your pediatrician, talk to your doctor, uh, and then make the best decision for your family. And Parenting is a long journey into paranoia. Yeah. So. <laughs> I wanted to shift gears a bit in uh, as far as the questions. I wanted to kind of get your opinion on what you tell parents um, about the uh, the must do's. You know, the times they should definitely seek care in the newborn period. Um, uh, kind of the you know the take homes before you send them off. Um, you know, uh, what are your what are your top um, let's say three things that you tell them um, uh, that uh, alert them that they should seek care in the immediate uh, newborn period? Well, you know, after the, after the first 24 hours, uh, babies can begin to run fever if they get sick. So we always, always, always want parents to be aware that, especially in the first two months, mm -hmm. if, a, if a new baby has fever, uh, that's, that's really, an emergency. Uh, yeah. And I always tell them I wouldn't call an ambulance, but I'd load up the car and go to the ED. I wouldn't wait till the next morning because a matter of three or four hours can make a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, they're just not. Can, capable. I, can I interrupt? Yeah, sure. I totally agree. But I'd like a caveat on that. Uh, you don't necessarily need to be checking your baby's temperature frequently in order yeah, to make sure true. that they don't have a fever. Right. But if they feel warm to you, the most accurate way to check is rectal, and a fever to us is more than 100.4. Yeah. Please proceed. I, I, I totally agree. And, you know, any, any parent that has had any experience is going to tell you they can tell when their child is hot. Exactly. You, you them so much, they, they're going to feel hot, and there's going to be, a, you know, that kind of glassy look in their eyes that they don't feel good. So you'll know. I totally agree. I, that's, that's not time you need to spend checking temperatures all the time on an otherwise healthy baby. Mm -hmm. so those months are really important. Right, exactly. And then, the, you know, the, the constant checking of temperatures can feed that whole parenting is paranoia thing. Right. And, uh, you know, suddenly you start getting confused by normal bodily temperature fluctuations. Right. I yeah. have one more caveat for that. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I just wanted to add, I remember learning this too, that, uh, focus more on how the baby's acting too, you know, to uh, alert you to check a temperature because, you know, if they're eating and sleeping and waking up and doing all the things that babies do, um, you know, you don't have to be checking constantly, but if they're lethargic, they're not waking up to feed, um, those types of things. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but even a super low temperature, you know, if they're not acting right, but they're really extra cold, that can also alert us to an infection. So um, I always tell them definitely, Definitely the 100.4 or higher, um, and also if they're not acting right, you know, and um, not being them themselves. Yeah, I agree. Sorry, continue. <laughs> so, um, so those first two months are important for, for a high risk of infection. And then I would say beyond that, a couple other things I would always watch for, breathing difficulties, because most kids in that early age group that are going to get infected 
very frequently they'll have a, a lung infection associated with that. So breathing faster than normal, sustained above 60 in a newborn is considered abnormal. They may fluctuate up and down temporarily, but they're not going to stay that fast. And often when a newborn has respiratory symptoms too that are significant, they'll have grunting respirations and retractions. And I really think almost any parent, even without knowing any of this, they would know something is wrong with the baby just by that. So gets back to your point about, you know, look at the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so breathing problems. And I, and I would say the other thing is after the first several days, maybe even out to the first week, um, a baby that's not feeding well, that's their exercise. And when they don't feel good, they won't eat good. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the first several days, they're, they're learning how to eat and it's a little bit erratic. But most moms will tell you that after they're home, they get settled in, they get pretty much used to what their norms are. So if you're having trouble feeding a baby over a couple of feeding periods, that, that may bear further attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful. I think uh, we get a lot of that question too uh, about the breathing. And we often you know, explain that there's something normal called the periodic breathing of the newborn where they'll breathe really fast and then they'll take a pause. And then you'll say, wait, are you breathing still? <laughs> you know, And I'll have moms come and they're just looking at the baby and watching them breathe <laughs> you know, and taking videos and showing me. So... Um, and, and like you mentioned, it's a consistent thing. If they continue to breathe fast over a period of time and they're grunting and you can see them working hard to breathe, then that's definitely um, an alert to, to get help. And I know that that brief pause that you're talking about, I used to get, I still get asked about that a lot by moms in the nursery. That, that's very scary when you think they're not breathing. But if, if you just kind of step back and, and think about it, it's usually lasting several seconds They never lose tone, their color doesn't change, and they start right back up again. So that's just normal periodic breathing. That's okay. Yes. You guys just took me back into a time-traveling machine to when my first daughter was born, which can you believe, Dr. Smith, that was 10, almost 11 years ago. But I remember I was an intern and I had her, and so I had some knowledge of this stuff, you know, Uh, and also, you know, being in pediatrics, I had a false sense of security. And I brought her home from the hospital, and I specifically remember, and I, again, tell this to my patients, all of them who are willing to listen, is really clearly remember being like, what's that noise? What is that noise? Now, what is she doing now? What is that? Is that normal? And I, I thought, you could write a whole book on the noises they make, you know, and they're not quiet, you know, and then when they finally are, you're like, wait, why are you so quiet? <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Back to that whole paranoia thing. Um, so it is really normal for them to make all kinds of funny noises. And I think we need to clarify grunting because uh, to the layman, they do grunt actually. It's more of a G, like GI kind of stomach grunting. You know, they're trying to pass gas. Where our definition of grunting in the medical field is having uh, distress and breathing. And that has a very specific sound, which I would encourage you if you'd like as a parent to just YouTube it, um, respiratory grunting, but it basically is very rhythmic. And so it's a, uh, 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 you know, and so they are kind of having to uh, breathe with difficulty and with pressure. And that's what we're referring to about them being in respiratory distress. Uh, But, you know, Anna's also right that they tend to have that period of 
sometimes where they just don't want to take a breath at all. But if you sit there and you time it, it typically is no more than three to five seconds. And we, again, as doctors, will get worried if a baby doesn't breathe for more than 20 seconds. That's what we would call apnea. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of information I just threw out there, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And I always get the questions about the blue hands and, uh, you know, they get initial newborn period. They get a color change around their mouth sometimes, a little dusky blue or on their hands and feet. And and we tell them that's totally normal. Um, You know, that's that initial um, period where their circulation is still still catching up with them. So I'm sure you will get that question. Every baby now in the United States has a pulse ox check before they go home. So you can be rest assured that, that that's looked at. Their oxygen saturation is checked before they go home. We do that because that's a screen for uh, uh, underlying heart problems. That's right. Yes. But in the evolution of just my career, most parents have one of those now. They call yes. them an owlet. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to ask Dr. Smith about that. Like, what do you, what do you usually tell parents? Cause I have a lot of families that do come with a pulse ox, you know, and they're, you know, it's part of this, um, uh, worry that when they're sleeping, uh, you know, they don't want anything to happen to the baby. A lot of babies do spit up and I see a lot of parents get really nervous that they're going to choke. Um, and how do you tackle that? Do you recommend that they, um, uh, get a pulse ox? Uh, how do you, how do you handle that? question. I, I will, in all honesty, I'll tell you, since I only work in the hospital nursery, I don't deal with a lot of that after the fact. I've never had a parent bring one up to the nursery, but <laughs> it reminds me of years ago when we used to do home apnea monitoring. Mm-hmm. And the thought was that we could predict kids that would be at risk for sudden infant death. And after 10 or 15 years of, of that, what we realized was it didn't, didn't have any value. It didn't protect them. It didn't predict anything. And I suspect that the pulse ox at home is probably the same way. If it's being used frequently like that, especially when the baby's asleep, you're probably going to have an awful lot of alarms that are not real true alarms. So I think if you're using it only when a child is sick or they, you know, you just do a spot check that that certainly might be of some value, but, um, but I think probably it's not going to uncover any hidden things uh, that you wouldn't already be suspicious something is going on. I think that's a really valid point. Just like we just said a few minutes ago, you wouldn't walk around with a thermometer in your mouth 24 hours a day because you wouldn't even know what to do with the data of having your temperature fluctuations, you know, right in front of your face all the time. So it's the same thing. But I will say I have a love-hate relationship with the pulse ox because, (laughs) you know, back when it was gaining popularity, we definitely were, you know, reading the literature that, that the only thing that was connected to having a pulse ox at home was increased parental anxiety. It wasn't saving any lives. Right. So I was not for it. I was trying to convince people that even though I understand as a parent, I get it. Believe me, I understand the need or want to have some type of insurance or security blanket. um, It's only going to make you more nervous. But now that I'm doing a little bit more telemedicine, Whenever they're like, we have a pulse ox, I'm like, great. <laughs> could, you, could you 
put it on him so I could take a look. Right. So times change. <laughs> I find that uh, with, um, you know, of course, I uh, kids that get discharged home, as you know, on oxygen, have other heart conditions, have lung conditions. A lot of times the doctors will recommend that they have a pulse ox because um, some of them might need to go home on oxygen. Those are definitely, you know, uh, appropriate uh, uh, situations. But I, I agree. I remember when we used to, you know, do our rounds in the hospital and we would get those beeping sounds, you know, and you go in and check and it's usually because they moved, you know. And so those things pick up a lot of error um, that I find too. And I think like you, like you both said, I think they just increase anxiety. Right. So we're starting to get close on time. Uh, that was, that was really fast. I felt like that just flew by. Um, but, you know, in the spirit of respecting your time and our viewers or listeners that might be getting a little tired by now. Um, is there any other pearls of wisdom or any last, uh, you know, advice that you have, not only maybe for new parents, but, you know, as on your way out from this career, anything you want medical students or, uh, you know, pediatricians to know? For us. The key to happiness, you know, the, the secret to life. Tell us everything. <laughs> we want to know all your wisdom. <laughs> well, um, I would just say enjoy your children. Enjoy That's them because one. they grow up so fast. And for those of us on the other side that are maybe now grandparents, uh, as the years go by, you really relish those years that you had with them early on. And um, if you just have to push through the anxiety and, and like I said, try to try to enjoy the moment. Take a breath sometimes and, and just enjoy the moment. I think that's great advice. And, and you're right, because there is a lot of responsibility that comes from being a parent. Perhaps that in, in a slight way, I wouldn't know because I'm not a grandparent, but when you're a grandparent, maybe you're kind of like, oh, well, you know, their parents have this. So <laughs> you get all the good stuff. Right, right. Now you get to really, really enjoy the moments. <laughs> Well, there's nothing like experience and perspective to help you through those things. So, right. Hindsight's uh, twenty twenty, right? <laughs> sure. Well, we really, really want to thank you um, for being our first guest and for all your wisdom for all the years. And we still hear you, you know, in our, <laughs> we still hear your voice in our heads when we're talking to our families. And, um, and uh, it really, really has helped us over the years in our careers. So we appreciate you doing this uh, for us and um, for all the advice and love. Yeah. Thank Very you nice. for coming on, Dr. Smith. Sure. We really My pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. Well, we're back um, without Dr. Smith. How lovely was that? That was so amazing. I miss Dr. Smith so much. Um, Me too. He is such a wealth of information, isn't he? He really is. So wisdomous, as Joey on Friends would say. <laughs> um, he's great. And uh, took me back a good a number of years to uh, being under his tutelage. So uh, I would think, you know, I, I, we're kind of getting near to wanting to wrap up this episode. So I think the thing that I really want to be the take home message for our listeners, uh, you know, especially our parents, you know, the, the ones who are listening to this would be a few things, a few pearls, um, which is what I understand from our conversation with Dr. Smith. So again, he's had more than 40 years uh, in this career. And his main take-home messages was, 
if you can breastfeed, go ahead and do it. It's not the end of the world if you don't. Um, and if you have to formula feed, and like I said, um, be pro mom, not necessarily pro breast or pro bottle. Um, to circumcise or not to circumcise is a personalized decision. Uh, while he did show some benefit to doing the circumcision, he did mention a really good point that the most of the world is actually not circumcised. So just keep that in mind when making that decision. And that, you know, after 40 years, when we ask him what his main piece of advice was, it was to enjoy your kids. And, you know, I think as a parent, when people tell you that, because you're in the thick of it, you're in the middle of it, and most of the time really tired and really stressed and anxious, um, those might fall on deaf ears. But I hope that people who are listening will really take a moment. I know I did. Uh, I value Dr. Smith so much so that when he tells me that, I you know, I just have to pause for a second and kind of let that sink in. And and then after this, go and hug my babies. Yeah. And it's, it's so true, you know, and, and three physicians telling you that that's a big take home, I think that is really telling. Um, and there's, you know, a few things that you do have to focus on, like Dr. Smith mentioned, you know, if the baby has a fever, you know, definitely go get evaluated. If the baby has trouble breathing, if the baby's not acting themselves, uh, definitely consult your pediatrician, um, go to the ER if you're worried. Um, these are some of the, just a few things that you really have to focus on. Um, all those other things that we have anxiety over, you know, are a lot of things that um, aren't, um, you know, clinical. There are a lot of our own uh, anxieties that we create in our mind. Um, and so all those things will sort themselves out. And the biggest thing is if you're happy and if you're in a place of um, less stress, that's going to be better overall for you and the baby. So I really wanted to, um, as we kind of recap this, uh, tie this back into our PD Pals pyramid. I don't know if uh, all our listeners remember, uh, but we introduced our <laughs> do you yep. remember? Not do only do remember? I remember, but I'd like to just mention once again that that was an alliteration. <laughs> the PD pals love an alliteration. So, um, yeah, it's going to be uh, really important to us because we wanted to find that one thread um, that we can put all of our inputs in as pediatricians to try to make it um, uh, uh, relatable and to try to make it practical for the families. And so a little recap on the pyramid. Um, we have the mind, which we want to be the biggest part of the pyramid, the base, um, the body, and then the environment. We want the little tip to be the environment. Uh, currently, our environment is weighing heavy on us, and we're not taking care of that mind and that body part. So um, we're trying to do our best to try to flip it around so that we can focus on the mind and the body. And I think the newborn period, I think the most important thing is to focus on um, the mind and the body for, for moms and for parents, because uh, if they're taking care of themselves and if they are reducing their anxiety and their fears and taking care of their bodies, it's going to be better for their child. Um, and then for the environment, creating that, that in turn is creating an environment for your baby to flourish um, and to be able to then later take care of themselves. Such an important lesson that basically our take home message from this whole podcast being, uh, you know, if possible, try to create a good 
and, you know, nurturing environment for yourself and for your baby, for your new baby when you bring them home from the hospital. Because uh, it's the beginning of a long journey, and uh, the best way to start it off on the right foot is to try to limit the pressure on yourself. Be kind to yourself uh, and be forgiving of yourself. I, I really have one last thing to say, but it's just because it just dawned on me. And I, <laughs> I thought of a couple of things too. <laughs> it dawned on me, and it's important because I mention this all the time that basically it's kind of the unspoken rule that moms don't talk about or parents don't talk about, but it's hard on everyone. Uh, most parents and, and, you know, moms who are struggling and when I have their initial visit with them in the newborn period and they're tearful and tired and it's just not what they thought it was going to be, they think they're the only ones in this boat. And take it from two people who are sitting on the other side of the table and are actually able to compare everyone, apples to apples, you're not the only one. Everyone's struggling. For whatever reason, we just don't openly talk about it as much. So it's hard. It's not you. If you can survive the first month, you can survive the rest of the journey. And I think the biggest thing that um, confirms that is uh, a lot of the the questions that come to me often are from my doctor friends. So for the the average mom out there that doesn't have a medical degree, um, the doctor moms are going through the same anxieties that are going through the same questions that you are. Um, and so this is definitely not... Um, you know, you're alone in this boat. And so the point you make is so, so important that, you know, leave that work to the physicians, to your pediatricians and um, let them kind of tell you um, because you can't think when it comes to your child and um, just trust your mom instinct and, you know, know you're not alone. I felt you were really looking at me when you were talking about that. <laughs> I was, I was not looking at you at all. You were from all my doctor mom friends. <laughs> I was looking at the other person on this podcast. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely not you. <laughs> no, but it's, it's so true. I think that's the, that's the biggest point I think that you could have made um, is in this newborn period. Give yourself a break and do the best you can because you are. Um, we're here for you. Petey Pals is here for you. Tag all your friends. Tell everyone about us. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us everywhere because we are going to go through all of it. This was just a newborn phase. There is so much to talk about. Wait till you, we get to toddlers and potty training and teenagers and anxiety and screen time and sleep. And we have so many topics to talk about. Um, yep. So we intend to you know, walk you through all of it. And all of it, we hope, is going to be good and accessible, digestible information that's going to be actually practical and useful for you. Because it's what we tell people on a day-to-day -day basis. And we want to have people like Dr. Smith in the future. We have a lot of good guests lined up uh, that are really going to help us in educating you. And this is more meant to be a discussion too. You know, there's definitely few pearls that you're going to learn from, from us uh, and that your pediatrician is going to tell you. But we want to really make this a forum um, so that you can ask all your questions or your stupid questions. And we have a website. Once again, you looked at me. When <laughs> I did no such thing. <laughs> I was not looking. No, but, um, you know, we want to be able to answer those questions because we only get a few minutes um, at uh, during our appointments and we really want to be accessible. So we have a website, thepdpals.com, and you can definitely submit your questions there and we will try to best, um, we will try our best to answer them too. So 
Thank you. So thanks for logging in and until next time. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any other agency, hospital, organization, employer, or company. Assumptions made in the analysis are not reflective of the position of any entity other than the participants. The participants are critically thinking human beings. Therefore, these views are always subject to change, revision, reconsideration, and recalculation at any time. This podcast collaboration makes no warranties or representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information, communication, exchange, and the participants will not be liable for any errors, omissions, or delays in this information, or any losses, injuries, or damages arising from its broadcast dissemination or use. All information is provided on an as-is basis. It is the communication recipient's responsibility to verify any facts.